We continue tonight our study of the Holy Spirit with session number three in that series, as you can see on the wall behind me. If you would be turning to Acts chapter 1, we'll be looking at some of the features of both that chapter and the one that follows it. We'll also, along the course of that study, give some appreciation to a few of the prophecies in the Old Testament that touch that subject. This introductory slide is one that is a basic reminder of some of what we had given consideration to in the first two sessions of our series. The subject of the Holy Spirit, as we each well know, has been a subject of great discussion, significant controversy, and actually a subject that's also offered quite a number of divergent viewpoints. Our goal is to simply allow the Word of God to do the teaching, to allow it to settle in our heart the characteristic features of what the Holy Spirit has done and the proper way in which you and I must consider Him. And speaking of that, that was the opening lesson. The Holy Spirit is not just a force, not just an influence, not just an emotion. The Bible time and again refers to Him as a being, masculine and gender, in the same way that the Father and the Son both are. And therefore, we highlighted the characteristic nature of always understanding that the Holy Spirit is a divine personality. But in addition to that, the second lesson brought us to this. We came to see, did we not, that the Holy Spirit had a significant role in creation, not only in the material creation of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but a critical and vital part in the spiritual creation of all who will be children of God by faith. That being settled, or at least highlighted, brings us to lesson number three. Tonight's lesson, as you probably could have told from the title a moment ago, will in many ways discuss two components, one of which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The other, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? And so it is, you'll notice at the bottom of that slide, I at least raise those two matters for consideration. Even before we begin, as you give thought to what is meant by the Bible's teaching concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All kinds of great questions. Let's begin by listing at least some of those which could well appear. You'll notice about the middle part of that slide, some of those very issues are raised. And so, for example, is Holy Spirit baptism today? If so, who is it for? Is it for everybody? Is it something that is a prerequisite for salvation? That is to say, if one is going to be saved, must one experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Those are just a few of the questions that are easily enough heard in many religious discussions and circles of the day today. As you, you and I begin near the top of that slide, could I point out that as has always been the case, our goal is perhaps in the slogan of Psalm 119, verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. It's only our guide, our ideal, to allow the Bible to give us information about this. We really couldn't care less what the religious world may think. They have often misunderstood the Holy Spirit. And that certainly includes the baptism that's associated with Him. For that reason, you may notice at the bottom, I again ask you to consider a few of those questions that I just mentioned a moment ago. But more to the point, 
at the bottom of that slide are raised these ideas. How many times in the Bible is the baptism of the Holy Spirit referenced? That is to say, how many times in the Word of God is it explicitly described as being an occurrent matter? I think we'll each be amazed unless we're already aware of the answer. Notice the first point. There is one and only one Old Testament clear-cut reference to what you and I would recognize as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's be turning to Joel chapter 2. So hold your finger there in Acts, and we'll return to that in just a moment. But in Joel chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 28 and following. And as you're turning to that, that's one of the minor prophets. And it would be fair to at least remind us that Joel is often known as the prophet of Pentecost because he, more so than the other minor prophets of the Old Testament, he cast a spotlight, in fact, a notable shadow to the events that were to occur on that day of Pentecost. And so in verse 28 of Joel chapter 2, the inspired writer has these words to say, And it shall come to pass afterward, please note, what Joel is here prophesying, he says it's going to happen at some point in the future. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call." What a thunderous prophecy. So in these ancient days, Joel made this declaration. God speaking through him said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Upon appreciating the greatness of that statement, all you and I need to do is turn back to Acts chapter 2 for just a moment and appreciate the following. This morning, as you and I noticed as a part of that lesson, we cast a spot spotlight on some of the features of Acts chapter 2, but there's a set of its verses I did not read. Revisiting Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 16, Peter, on that day of Pentecost, made this statement, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I trust that saying sounds at least a little bit familiar. It's almost word for word what I had just read in Joel. 
That is to say, Peter, as he makes reference to those events, and Joel quotes it almost verbatim. And he goes on to say, This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, what Joel prophesied is now coming to pass. What Joel prophesied is what you see in the lives of these 12 apostles who are able to speak in languages they had never learned. Remember, the Holy Spirit had come upon them. You might appreciate then the following observations. I've just read for you the principal Old Testament presentation of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. At this point, you might take note. There are very, very few New Testament references to the occurrence of this matter. I would call to your attention Matthew 3.11. Revisit that text and listen to the Lord's statement. Matthew chapter number 3, verse number 11. It was on that occasion that Jesus Himself speaking, this was of course in the very same chapter in which He was baptized, but you notice the following. Actually, this is the following statement. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I need to make one quick correction. I said, that's Jesus. That's John the Baptist preaching. So John on that occasion asserted that as he was about to baptize the Master, Jesus, to that crowd that was assembled and gathered, John rather immediately said, I baptize you with water, but one coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not worried to unloose his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we notice John made a direct reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You perhaps will then notice in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, which was the lesson text read in our hearing just a little bit earlier. Verse number 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now that was Jesus speaking. He directly asserted to those who were his apostles, they were very shortly into the future from that moment going to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. With those words as preparation, the next slide will develop all of this a little bit more thoroughly and we'll seek to answer those questions we raised earlier. So now let's ask, who was it that was to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Furthermore, when was this reception to take place? We may as well at least introduce or at least make note of this. There are still individuals in our world today who are confident in fact, they are overwhelmingly positive concerning it. They say you've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order to be saved, in order to experience other things that God would wish you to know in your life. You and I are going to now seek to directly answer that question. Is Holy Spirit baptism for the day today? Look at the things that Jesus again said in Acts chapter 1, verse number 5. Jesus saying, For John truly baptized with the water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. Who's the ye? Who was it that the Master said was going to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit? All we have to do is look back previous verses. He's making reference to those apostles. 
Notice carefully verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which saith he, you've heard of me. Who's the them? Luke 24 verse 49 says it was the twelve apostles. They were the ones assembled in the upper room. They were the ones assembled in Jerusalem. They were the very ones Jesus had said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. These statements that we've just read indicate then that this baptism of the Holy Spirit was specifically tailored for and promised to the apostles. But let's notice this. Did you notice also Jesus said this? Again in Acts 1 verse 5, You apostles will receive this baptism not many days hence. Now let's pause and note this. There isn't an apostle living on earth today. We all know that fact. And yet Jesus specifically said it was to the apostles they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think we've already answered one point. Nobody, and may I repeat, nobody can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today because there are no apostles today. Later on in Acts chapter 1, it is affirmed that there are qualifications that had to have been met in order for a person to be an apostle. First, you had to be an eyewitness of the characteristics of Jesus. In fact, you may want to go ahead and notice the way in which verse number 22 lists those qualifications. Acts 1 verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. First of all, to be an apostle, an individual had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. But not only that. According to that verse, the person had to be acquainted with the characteristic facts from the baptism of John all the way into the end of the Lord's life. May I suggest there's not a person on earth today that was an eyewitness of Jesus because nobody's that old. It happened 2,000 years ago roughly. There are no apostles. And yet it was to them that Jesus promised they would be the recipients of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second point is, about when did they receive this? Verse number 5 again says, from the time that was written and from the time that Jesus made that statement, it would not be many days. Now you and I know very well as we turn the page, at least in my Bible, it's on the next page, to Acts chapter 2, we encounter the first four verses of that chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, let's note the they, as you and I are those who respect the grammar of the Bible, that word they is a pronoun, and we then look for the noun to which it refers. Look back to verse 26 of the previous chapter, Acts chapter 1. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. There's our noun. Therefore, those apostles is the word to whom the word they refers. And therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 2, they, the apostles, were all gathered in one accord in one place. And in verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they, who's the they? The apostles were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them, who's the them? The apostles. Again, chapter 1, verse 26. Unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Who's the them? Same word, the apostles. And they, verse 4, were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of those pronouns then refer clearly to the apostles. And you and I notice majestically that then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now later in this chapter, as we've noted a moment ago, Peter stood up and said, This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. Therefore, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of it, if you please, on those apostles is what Joel had predicted, what he had prophesied. And in fact, Jesus had already said it's not going to happen many days hence. There was at most ten days between Acts 1 verse 5 and Acts chapter 2 verses 1 and following. Because remember, Jesus spoke 40 days or at least witnessed to them But the Pentecost occurred on the 50th day, so there was at most 10 days between them. And therefore, you and I appreciate then it sure enough was not many days hence. Therefore, on that slide, you'll notice then we can state something rather amazing. The apostles were the ones that were baptized in the Holy Spirit on this occasion. I've asked you to notice rather emphatically, it was not the 120 there are quite a few instances in which you'll notice in Acts chapter 1, verse number 15, there is a reference made to 120 disciples of Jesus. And quite often there are those who will claim, well, the Holy Spirit baptism came on the 120. Not so. It came only on the apostles. So as you and I embed that thought in our heart, I would ask you now to appreciate Peter's commentary on this in Acts 11, verse number 15. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter has something to say. And remember, he was the very one who was preaching on Pentecost. He was the very one who said, this is that that was spoken of by Joel. And later in his own commentary on these ideas in Acts eleven fifteen, Peter makes this statement. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Point of fact in that is Peter, notice he said, the Holy Spirit fell on us on that Pentecost day. And Peter remembered, of course, he had recollected the fact Jesus had told him, you'll be baptized. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. All of that fits together wonderfully, doesn't it? And therefore, you and I then have something amazing. Here we find the first occurrence in all of history of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happened on the day of Pentecost. There wasn't a single person before that had ever experienced it. Joel had prophesied it, Jesus reviewed it, and then the apostles received it on that day of Pentecost. You may notice what accompanied it. What is it those apostles were able to do as a manifestation of the fact that they had been baptized in the Holy Ghost? They were able to speak in languages they had never learned. 
They were able to speak in tongues is the way, of course, the King James puts it. So you and I might keep that thought in mind. These individuals were able to speak in languages, permitting individuals gathered on Pentecost to hear and understand the gospel in their own home tongue. That was a remarkable thing, wasn't it? So notice the baptism of the Holy Spirit equipped them to share that message of the gospel that day in languages they'd never studied, in languages they had never to that point learned. Keeping all of that in mind, may I ask you to make a distinction with me? There are a number of considerations of the Bible in which there are references made to individuals who were filled with the Holy Ghost. It's very important that you and I make a distinction here. To be filled with the Holy Ghost is not the same as to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. At the bottom, I've listed for you several individuals, and the Bible does say that this person, for example, was filled with the Spirit. For instance, in Luke 1.15, it was said of John the Baptist's parents before John was born, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, that doesn't mean they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that Zechariah and Elizabeth could talk in languages they'd never learned. There was something different about this. Not only that, in John 7, 39, it's there commented again how that there were those filled with the Holy Spirit. That did not mean again they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps one final set of observations. In Luke 1, verse 41... In Luke 1, verse 67, all of that very clearly makes note of this fact of there were, it was said that there were some filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, there will be many examples later of those who were said to fall in that category. I chose not to list it there, but I could at least invite your consideration to this one. In Acts chapter 6, now this, of course, was after the day of Pentecost, but there had been a problem that had arisen in the early church. In Acts chapter 6, verse number 3, it reads as follows, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So here are seven individuals, seven men, and the text says there they would be those who are full of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Oh, absolutely not. Again, you and I must read with care. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is not the same as to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, many times those who were filled with the Spirit were simply those who had given their lives into that which the Spirit had revealed, which was the Word of God. They lived according to His Word. They adopted the policies and practices He taught. And they gave their life in devotion and in dedication to what the Spirit taught. So to be baptized in the Spirit is not the same as to be filled with the Spirit. As you and I close that slide, we are then prepared to step one step further. Who administered this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, that's a very important question. Of the various baptisms addressed and described in the New Testament, it's very important to appreciate who administered it. With regard to this one, could you and I note the following? 
We've already read Matthew 3, verse 11. Wasn't it there the case that John the Baptist explicitly said, I baptize with water, but one comes after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to lose. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. Now, the baptism of fire is a somewhat different subject, and we may well devote another lesson on another occasion to that one. But John very clearly said that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is something only Jesus could administer. Now, may I again return to the question. There are those on earth today who think that you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Where is Jesus to administer it? He's in heaven. He isn't here upon earth. How can He administer it? Well, that's a good question. And you and I have already learned in the answer simply to appreciate the following. In John chapter 1, verse 33, we have more details given about the truthfulness of this matter. John chapter 1, verse number 33. The text before us reads as follows, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Now those were the words of John. And he very clearly made this statement, the very one on whom the dove descended in the form at the baptism. And you and I know, of course, that dove, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove on Jesus. John was told, he's the one that will baptize in the Holy Ghost. You and I aren't left in wonder about this one. The Word of God is so incredibly clear, isn't it? When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, only Jesus, the Master, is the one who could administer it. Let's then develop those last two points on that slide. You and I have already noticed those apostles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It came upon them, and it came upon them in an incredible way. On that day of Pentecost, again, it filled the house where they were sitting, equipping them with cloven tongues, if you please, and allowing them to speak in those languages they had never learned. That's what that baptism prepared them to be able to do. Now, you and I aren't surprised by that. Jesus had told them on the night before He was crucified, in John 16, verse 13, Remember, He was gathered with them in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, He very plainly told the apostles, not anybody else, He told the apostles, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but the things which He shall deliver, those are the things He shall say. Therefore, we notice Jesus told those apostles they would be the recipients of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is one matter that perhaps is still troubling to you if you recollect our prophecy from Joel. What was it Joel had said? Let's go back and look at it again. Again, in Joel chapter 2, verse number 28, God speaking through Joel had said, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit, and please note the next language, upon all flesh. Upon all flesh. 
so far you and I have agreed that this baptism of the Holy Spirit came on 12 individuals on the morning of the day of Pentecost. Does that sound like all flesh? And there are many who, of course, will read that and say, well, didn't Joel say that this is to be something all flesh would understand? So that means you and I need to get it today. And therefore, many use it to teach that everybody must receive this. Let's make a careful observation. Who is the all flesh that Joel was referring to? Transition back to Acts chapters 1 and 2. Jesus had again told the apostles they would be the ones that would be the recipients of this Holy Spirit baptism. Of course, those apostles primarily were Jews. In fact, as you think about the listings of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and on down the list. These individuals, you see, were those who had been welcomed into the characteristic family of who Jesus appreciated in terms of His closest associates. These apostles, they were, they were the Jews. They were the representatives to them. Didn't Jesus tell them at first in the limited commission, you go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 and following. Only to the Jews. They weren't to preach to Gentiles yet at that time. At this point, when we come to Acts chapter 2, who was assembled on Pentecost? Jews. They were the ones who knew the Old Testament laws regulating Pentecost. They were the ones who were assembled in Jerusalem. There weren't Gentiles assembled there yet. I believe we're about to reach a critical matter, though. For after all, as you and I come to Acts chapter 10, we find yet one other episode in which we encounter the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter number 10. This chapter is somewhat lengthy, and so we certainly won't read all of it. But could I at least overview in historical fashion some of the main features, and then we'll come to the latter portions at the end of it. You might recall the message is one of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile person. He was a centurion. We learn in the first few verses. In fact, he was the leader of a group of Roman soldiers. So he was not Jewish in background. And yet, he had a heart that was very interested in knowing the truth of God. You, might, you and I might remember that he was lodging at that time, of course, in the city of Caesarea. But you'll notice that the God of heaven sent a message by way of a vision to a man named Peter. You might recall Peter was lodging with a man named Simon, who was a tanner. And it was about the noonday hour, about dinner time, and we each like to eat. And Peter was getting hungry. And he saw this vision about the noontime hour, and a sheet was led up and down three times, and all kinds of unclean animals were in it. And it was told to Peter, "'Rise, Peter, kill and eat!' And Peter was quick to say, Oh, I've never put anything like that on my lips. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And yet three times he saw the sheet let down, and three times the command was given. And as soon as he woke up out of the vision, there was a knock on the door. <laughs> the emissaries from Cornelius had come and said, We're looking for someone who will tell our master what, message from God he needs to hear. 
At that point, Peter knew exactly what the vision had meant. Go with them, Peter. No longer call any Gentile common or unclean. Although it's been true, the message of the gospel has been for the Jew up until this point. Here is a Gentile, and he needs the gospel too. They need the gospel as well. And so Peter went with them. And when he got there, Cornelius not only was assembled, he had a whole group of people, including his household, anxious and ready to hear what Peter had to say. It's interesting to notice that when Peter first arrived, almost the first thing Cornelius did was fall down on the ground as though he was going to worship him. Peter said, get up. I'm not to be worshipped. Does that sound like the Pope of today, by the way? It certainly doesn't. But yet Peter was never a Pope. And you appreciate here, he said, get up, Cornelius. I'm a man like you are. Now, in the lesson that he proceeded to deliver to Cornelius in his household, he said in verses 34 and 35, God is no respecter of persons. For I perceive that in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. And that now not only included Jews, it included Gentiles as well. And you, Cornelius, I have been equipped by the God of heaven to share with you the unsearchable riches of Christ. As we now transition to near the end of the chapter, Beginning in verse number 44, we now read these timeless words. While Peter yet spake these words, while Peter was yet talking, while he was yet urging him and sharing with him the great message of Jesus the Christ, while those words were still being spoken, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days." What you and I have just noticed then, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and those other Gentiles gathered. And Peter said it fell on them the same way that he had fallen on the Jews, those apostles back in Acts chapter 2. How did he know? Did you note the language of verse 46? For they heard them speak. Who's the them? Those Gentiles. Those Gentiles had been equipped to speak also in languages they'd never learned. In other words, the very same thing that those apostles had been able to do on the day of Pentecost. And when that occurred, you and I could easily tell then that was confirmation. And Peter and the other Jews that were there noticed they were astonished. They knew instantly what had happened. These Gentiles, by decree of heaven had been the recipients of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same way that the apostles had been back on the day of Pentecost. You might note one more thing. As that statement is therein made, notice that did not mean those Gentiles were saved. Notice, afterward they were baptized. The fact that they had received that Holy Spirit in that way did not mean that their sins were washed away. It was only a 
confirmation of the message from heaven that God wished to receive those Gentiles into the fold of God, they too needed to complete what you and I would call the plan of salvation. They had already believed, but they hadn't been baptized yet. And though you and I have just read the second and last time that there was ever any baptism of the Holy Spirit. It came on the Jews in Acts chapter 2, on the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, and that's all flesh, just like Joel prophesied. And therefore, the prophecy being fulfilled, there has never been another person since baptized in the Holy Spirit. Isn't it rather remarkable? Jesus is the one that gave this. He's the one that made it happen. I'd suggest to you we've invested our time to discuss the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think I'll reserve the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I had intended to. We'll just wait for another lesson for that one. As we discuss all of that, isn't it remarkable to notice the connection, the beauty and reality that you and I see in, the, in, in this discussion of the Holy Spirit? At this point, let's offer our invitation. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, and that person has communicated, revealed to us the will of heaven. In these miraculous measures, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this baptism, if you please, we've seen two incidents. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It came to pass in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10. And it has not happened since, nor will it ever because God has indicated that upon all flesh, and that prophecy is now completed. Today, no one can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Word of God testifies as much. This very night, as you and I give thought to our life, are you and I faithful Christians? Are we following the dictates and the teachings of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is very real. And we appreciate what He has done and what He continues to do. But may we be quick to say one thing He still does not do is baptize people in Himself. The days for that are long since past. This very night, if your life isn't right with God, sometimes we sing that song, Is your heart right with God? It really is a good question. It's profound. It's deep. And how eternal are its prospects. If there's anyone in this audience tonight that would wish to make a public response to the gospel's call of invitation, we want you to know that as the Spirit has revealed that gospel, including its invitation, it's the God of heaven who's urging you to come. It isn't just me or even our eldership or even just merely the church at large. It really is the God of heaven. And if we could be of help to you, we'd like to do that. As a wayward child of God, We'd like to make acknowledgement of your repentance and your confession unto God in prayer, and He'll forgive you. If you ever have never become a Christian, why do you delay? What better day could there be than this one, the 21st of April, the year 2019? And if we could be of help to you tonight to obey that gospel, remember Cornelius and his family, they needed to be baptized, and so do you. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And if we could be of help to you tonight, we'd like to do that while together we stand and while we sing.